I'm Jonathan Goldstein, host of Wiretap. Each week you're invited to listen in on my telephone conversations, whether funny, sad, wistful, or even slightly strange. You never know just what you might hear on Wiretap. Uh, I mean, I knew you had a show. I just, I just didn't think that people actually listened to it. Howard, That's you... the breath of your genius, Jonathan. It's not just that you're funny, but you can be cripplingly, poignantly depressing. The Wiretap Archives, available on CBC Listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. That whole idea that it is never too late to try something new or pursue what you love, it can sound a little cliche, a little wah-wah, until you hear of somebody actually doing it. Sally Potter is already a successful film director. Now in her 70s, she is returning to her love of singing and putting out her first album. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power, and you're listening to Q. arts educators save the world we talk with artists and their mentors to discuss the transformative work that happens in arts education we began with lin-manuel miranda and his elementary school music teacher and mine barbara ames the direct education we got from barbara it was life-changing and since then we've spoken with cecily strong josh radner annalee ashford robert lopez and so many others each with their mentors Join us again as we begin Season 2 of Arts Educators Save the World, available everywhere. One day, the shame will have gone. One day, the wounds will have healed. I have been burning and longing to sing again, which I did professionally in my 20s, but not for a long time. And there's something so primal and so raw and so both so terrifyingly exposing on the one hand, but also so so ancient. One day their power will be gone. That's Sally Potter, who, as you're hearing right now, has found a way to fulfill the burning desire she's had to sing again. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Sally is putting out her first album in her 70s. It's not that she's been yearning her whole life, mind you, to express herself creatively. She's already a highly acclaimed director. Maybe you've seen her Oscar-nominated film Orlando from 1992. It starred Tilda Swinton. She's made other great films like Ginger and Rosa, The Party, and Yes. But now, later on in her career, Sally is returning to her love of song with an album that looks at her own coming-of-age story, and it's set in the 60s in London. Sally Potter told Tom Power about it. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, my God. It's, it's my pleasure to have you. I wanted to ask a little bit about um, Orlando because it was only coming in here um, and doing research for this that we realized that it was it was j- just about, just recently, 30 years since that film came yes. out. Does, does it feel that long to you? Well, given that the story is of somebody that lives for 400 years and changes sex halfway <laughs> through, you know, 30 years is a, is a mere droplet. Um, and, and it was really such a meditation on... On the on impermanence, on the illusion of the passing of time and and all that we associate with it, you can't. The past is gone, so you can't touch it anymore. The future is not here, so you can't touch it. When you try and get into the present, you realize it's going, just as you mention it. So it's all 
in, an incredibly um, ephemeral and 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 extraordinarily ever moving present that we're in. So, thirty years. It feels like exactly that. Actually, it feels still like the present. Um, I did a supervised a four K restoration of it, so I suddenly had to watch it again in depth. Though heir to a name that meant power, land, and property, surely when Orlando was born. It wasn't privilege he sought, but company. So it's time. Film itself is timeless. That's one of the attractive things about the medium. Once you've made it, it remains. It endures. If people know about it and love it and keep wanting to go back to it, it lives on and on and on. It's 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 quite extraordinary. It reminds me of why we call an album a record because it's it's a record. It, it's a record. It's recording a moment that you can live again and again and again and again. Was it sort of notoriety as an unadaptable work part of what made you interested in adapting it? I always thought it was straightforward. I mean, I because I could see it in my mind's eye as soon as I decided to make it and started to write this work on the script. I could visualize it so strongly. It was as if I was already traveling in time forward to the moment when it was finished, and I was sitting in my cinema and watching it. All I needed to do was write down what I saw. Now, of course, that's an illusory oversimplification, but it didn't seem that complicated. However, the more people told me it was unmakeable, shouldn't ever be made, classic novel, shouldn't touch it, be boring anyway. Who who, who were these people telling you this? I mean, you don't, now I'm not talking every, about names, but like who? No, every single financier in the entire known human universe. <laughs> I have a file of rejections for that film so thick I can hardly <laughs> carry it. I have letters from studio heads telling me not only can this film ever be made, Sally, it never should be made, oh and so on. So, um, but eventually, thanks to the diligence of producer Christopher Shepard, and thanks to a lot of dodging and weaving, and thanks to wonderful people who worked for absolute minimum pay, and 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 so on, we we did pull it off, you know, and and I did pull it off as an adaptation, which took a mere five to seven years to write. The fact that it was so difficult to finance, of course, meant that I had the luxury, let's call it, the ironic luxury of a very long development period, um, which gave me the opportunity to refine the vision again and again and again on paper, um, which I think actually did did help in the end with the, the film, the way it turned out. I mean, with, 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 with Tilda Swinton in there, you know, who plays the, the young nobleman who moves through all these centuries of, of British history with all these different lives and, and relationship and the relationship with time, switching sex, as you mentioned. And it was funny to, to be told that Tilda wasn't, is a household name now, but wasn't then. What, no, what, she wasn't. What did you see in her? Oh, well, I saw immediately that she was absolutely perfect for this role because she had the quality of being slightly outside of time herself somehow and a slightly androgynous quality. You know, she's tall and and slim and doesn't kind of over-egg the... She doesn't play with the femininity thing or didn't in that at that time. She was just what she was, straightforward. And she's, she's a very collaborative energy. And the camera loves her and she loves the camera. So as soon as I started taking stills of her, I realized what what we could do. 
Nothing thicker than a knife's blade separates melancholy from happiness. Why are you sad? Because... Because I can't bear this happiness to end. But we are together. Yes, now. But what about tomorrow? And the day after? And, uh, yeah, it was, it was as simple as that. I had never even considered anybody else, not for a moment. L- last question on Orlando. I have, um, I have heard from people in, in my life and then in doing further research on the internet who um, saw the film when they were young and it was an incredibly important moment for them in how gender was depicted on screen, how gender fluidity is depicted on screen. Was that intentional at all on, on your part or was it a, a byproduct of, of, of the years that went on afterwards? Well, I mean, it's Virginia Woolf wrote it that way. You know, it was it was her concept to have somebody live first of all longer than a human lifespan, so she's exploring mortality and immortality. But secondly, to live as a the life of a male and then the life of a female in a male body, a female body, but be the same person. And and she was very um, clear about this that her her definition of maleness and femaleness was much more performative. It was that we grow up learning how to perform being what we're expected to be if we're born male, or what we're expect learning how to perform what we're expected to be if we're born female. But that much more important than these differences or these performances of maleness and femaleness is an essential humanity. And so she wasn't really talking about identity and fluidity in the way that we talk about it now. She was talking about, the word she used more often is androgyny. She said the mind of the artist is androgynous, Um, but more importantly, the mind of the artist is focusing not on their identity, but on the work they're doing. They're looking out. So it's a very different take on these questions than a lot of the dialogues about these questions now. And I think very useful, very refreshing and very compassionate, actually. My, my, I bet you have people come up to you and tell you those kind of things, though. About changing the, the, the film changed their life? Yeah, and especially around gender and all that. Not just around gender. I've had that many times. Many, many people have wept on my shoulder saying that the film restored them to themselves and gave them, in a way, permission to be as complex as they were, as undecided, as fluid, as one thing as or another thing, whatever it may be. Um, and I've also had many, many people say that it was the film that decided for them that cinema was what they wanted to devote their lives to because it gave them a feeling of, oh, this is what film can evoke. Mm. It can evoke not only all these burning political questions, but also these huge philosophical and transcendent questions about the mystery of impermanence, the mystery of life, sort of life itself, really, and, and how you can shape that cinematically. So that's been very exciting to hear when both things have been exciting to hear when the film has meant something to people so personally, so deeply and so intimately about the areas in which they've struggled so much around gender. Um, and 
that it's been inspiring for people to to want to go and make work themselves that tackles the untackleable. <laughs> my my guest is Sally Potter. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about um, her film Orlando. Um, she has a new record called Pink Bikini. Speaking of time, what is happening that you are reflecting on some of those early days in, in these songs? Or had these songs existed for a while? Uh, I've been working on them for a couple of years. And, but not um, 50 years, not 60 years, you know? No, not no. 50 years or 60 years. Uh, although sometimes when I dig around in my archives, I think, Oh my goodness! I didn't realize I've already been trying this theme for for decades, but put it back in the drawer. You know, and you've but been making music really, for a long time. Yeah. I mean, you did you did yes. the, 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 the at least co-composed the scores for a, a number of your films. Yes, for most of them, um, and the last one composed entirely. But or sometimes I've made a film that's used curated the work of other people, or I've worked with other composers and so on. I've worked in very various ways on on scores and produced a few albums of soundtracks. But um, this is the first time that I've done an album pure and simple. That is songs that I've written and I'm singing and I've arranged. Night after night. I wake in fright Oh, what, what can I do? Do I want to save the world? I'm a band upon girl Why write this record now? Well, kind of why not is the next answer. I think, you know, a lot of us uh, through the pandemic time were thrown back on ourselves and on the feeling of life is short and... Now is the time. If there's something you're burning to do, do it. And I have been, I have been burning and longing to sing again, which I did professionally in my twenties, but not for a long time. You've been burning to, and longing to do that. To, yes, absolutely. And there's something so primal and so raw and so both so terrifyingly exposing on the one hand, but also so. How can I put it? so ancient <laughs> working with the human voice and with my own voice short skirt black tights wander in the streets at night so exciting but at home I'm fighting with my mom I'm right she's wrong I cannot bear to see her long to be after writing the score for the last film, which was the first time I'd really used logic as um, a tool, as a technological tool, to be able to arrange things to a much greater degree of detail than I'd ever known before. I, I should say for people who don't know, we're not talking about the yeah. concept of logic. Logic is no, a is no, a sorry. software for... <laughs> <laughs> logic is a software for for Macs, I think, uh, exclusively that you can yeah. Logic Pro, Pro, you can record and, and compose music on. Just just in fear of people thinking we were saying it was the first time I ever used Logic in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it, it may be true as well. <laughs> but okay, so you had taught you had taught yourself how to record and create music on your own. Yes, and so to be able to suddenly do that and to be able to experiment with songs. So the the Pink Bikini album is a tiny selection from a vast number of songs that I've been working on. And I decided deliberately in a way to to make it a modest first step in the terms of the world. I've been working on a lot of other things in the background, but to to take a limited range of subject to go to concentrate on the turbulence, the emotional turbulence 
of the transition state of the teenage years from childhood to adulthood with both the losses and the despairs, the misery and the joys, longings and desires of that time and the survival of that time as being something not only that I could remember well, or at least vividly, but also I think most people can relate to because most people have been through that kind of turbulence. So it it felt like a very active, pertinent, um, vivid, vivid mm. subject matter to explore poetically. Let's Let's listen to some of it. Take a listen to this. Life, life you gave to me And yes, my hunger You fed me when I came out old And you were so much younger Rest now, you can rest now Mama, rest upon my shoulder While I sing my thanks to you I love that line, um uh, rest now, rest upon my shoulder as I sing my thanks to you. I thought that was such a beautiful line. Tell me a little <laughs> bit about that song. It's called Mama. Well, it's called Mama. So it, it's. I thought I'm going to talk about the teenagers. I need to go back to the beginning too because my own mother was a teenage mother. She was pregnant with me at 18, had me at 19. And I became, when I was a, in my teens, a mean teen who was critical of this mother for the limited life she led, guess why it was limited? Because she was a single mother doing a lot of looking after me and my brother. So um, I l- rather late in the day came to evaluate, appreciate and be extremely grateful to my mother. And so this song is a song of gratitude to her. Um, and sadly, she's not with us anymore. I wish she could hear it. But I, the last line is, you know, I, I hope you can hear me. What was, what was her name? Caroline. Caroline. Caroline Potter. Yeah. Caroline Potter. Let's um, let's um, let's talk a little bit about um, him. Um, it's not in me to force, especially with filmmakers, to force autobiography on a piece of work. I think it's a I think it's a temptation that people in jobs like mine have. Oh well, that painting. I mean, is that about how much of your life is that about? Whereas sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. You know, a cigar is just a cigar. But in this yeah. one, you're singing about two, two, two young girls who seem to be in love, but are forced, yes. to, forced to be closeted. Take a listen to this. She believes in God and sin, damnation and holy bliss. We go to church together. Sally Potter in a song called Him. Broadly, what's what's the story you were telling here and what was this inspired by? Well, I think that the girl friendships um, verge, or in my experience anyway, verge into or are as passionate as love affairs and sometimes are love affairs and sometimes you can't tell the difference, but they're incredibly powerful bonds. And in this instance, I was, it's an amalgamation, actually, this song based on on my experience and my observation and some things I made up, essentially. Um, But where the the love between these girls, which is forbidden, of course, it's closeted love, um, also becomes um, 
uh, a, a love of, of jealousy because there's a third person in that relationship and that third person is God and God. And the, uh, so the, the, the I character is now jealous of and rivalrous with God. And so it was, I thought that was a dynamic and taboo, thrillingly taboo subject to explore for a song. One, one last song here. And um, as opposed to um, sort of going back to the beginning uh, with your mother or as opposed to him, which was sort of about uh, either something true or something uh, and something made up about a time in, in your life. Um, this feels like you now talking to that younger self you're writing about. Just take a listen to this. One day the shame will have gone One day the wounds will have healed One day you'll wear your scars like jewels And it's they who will look like fools Sally, tell me uh, about that song. You're absolutely right. This was about me being the the age or at least the accumulation of experience that I have now looking back and giving a hand to my younger self that was, you know, really, really struggling with very, very difficult experiences and feelings and saying, you know, one day, one day it will pass and one day you'll be able to look back, which is exactly what I'm doing. And and I think it's not only a message to my younger self, but it's a message to anybody else struggling about the way that time heals and the way that Everything that happens to us, however difficult it is, in a way later on is just material that we can use to transform into a song, into a film, into a book, into a conversation, or into just a memory. What's a piece of advice that 16-year-old version of yourself needed to hear, and, and do you know it now? Well, I think that I did need to know that it wouldn't always be like that that I wouldn't always be drowning in these feelings and struggling so much and feeling that I didn't know how I was going to get through or how I was going to make it. I left school at 16, so I already wanted, I wanted to be a filmmaker and how, how was I going to get there? You know, So I think that feeling of time will pass, but also um, it, it won't look the way it does now. You know, with hindsight, those that seem to have power over you or didn't believe in you or despised you or whatever it may be, are the ones who will end up looking like fools. So um, it, it's a kind of wanting to be to be kind to that younger self. And I, and I see that now with anyone struggling too and with younger people struggling. I want to be able to comfort them, and I hope this particular song will comfort them. Not only teenagers, anybody going through a really hard time. Sally Potter, uh, I love the record. Thanks so much for coming on and talking to us about it. Thank you so much. At 12 I dream The siren screams The bomb will fall Fall Soon Run across the land I want to hold 
my parents' hands together at last before the final blast. That's a bit of black and white badge by the director and now singer-songwriter Sally Potter. Before that, you heard Tom Powers' conversation with Sally about her many creative lives. Sally's debut record is called Pink Bikini. It is out now wherever you get your music. That's it for this episode of uh, Q, the podcast. You can find another episode in your feed right now from today. Yes, indeed, today with the artist Pink, who manages to be an absolute badass in everything that she does, including in the interview that you can hear with Tom Power. I'm so grateful to have grown up in an era with a pop star like Pink. She put out her first records around the same time as Britney Spears and Mindy Moore and Jessica Simpson. And she has managed to carve a very different path for herself in the way that she approaches her career, her music, her life. You can hear all about it in your podcast feed. I'm Talia Schlanger sitting in for Tom Power. I'll see you next time. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.